Hello and welcome to the first episode of Madget Radio in 2018, episode number 7. I'm joined as always by my faithful companion, Paul. How's it going everybody? Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, you filthy animals. Hope everyone had a good holiday. There we go, we're getting sued by Warner Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> How was your Christmas, Paul? It was good. It was fairly quiet, which was nice. Got a bit of painting done, which is always good. Awesome. How about yours? Um, it was good. A lot of alcohol was consumed. Not a lot of painting got done, unfortunately. I had these. It's gr- probably not the uh, the thing you want to do when you're pissed. I, well, I don't know. I've got a lot to get painted. I would <laughs> probably just have taken the bullet. But I had these grand designs at the start. I was like, right, two weeks off. I'm just gonna sit down and paint. Fuck this Christmas shit. I'm not gonna. I'm not doing it. I'm gonna paint. And uh, up until last weekend, I hadn't painted a single thing. And then it's our meet up this weekend. So I was like, right, okay. So this week. I've been painting every single night, so everything should be up to scratch by Saturday, hopefully. That's pretty good, considering uh, you've had quite a bit to get through, and new units and stuff to play with, so that's cool. Which we'll be talking about. So uh, this first episode is really just going to be, we're going to be talking about this new edition which dropped over the Christmas. So 2.0 is officially here and in beta phase, and uh, we have all the new and updated books, as well as the updated Paths of Magic and of course the rulebook. So... Just to give the uh, illusion of structure and foreplanning, uh, on this episode what we're going to do is firstly talk about our, our highlights from 2017, our gaming highlights. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about um, what we're going to do in 2018, both in terms of the the tournaments and the scene in Scotland, but also this podcast, the show. Uh, we do actually have some mail this week, so we will have... I know, right? Don't get too excited, guys, but we will have to uh, read that out. And then the main topic of the show is going to be talking about 2.0, and we're going to talk about the the rules, the past magic, and then um, I'm briefly going to talk about EOS because we uh, we largely covered that in the, the book review. Um, and what I really want to talk with Paul about today is Warriors of the Dark Gods because this is the the new shiny book, and Paul has some thoughts on that, don't you, Paul? I do. I do have some thoughts. Some good things, some bad things. Some awesome artwork, though. <laughs> Oh yeah, like the production quality, like the the production teams that were involved, like the layout guys, the artists, the background team, it's phenomenal. Like it's really good. It's such like a high end product that we got. It's really, really good. Really surprised with actually how good that turned out. So <laughs> surprising Ed's ability to write. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. No comment. So, um, Paul, what were your 2017 gaming highlights? Gaming highlights. I think. I mean, I lost a lot in 2017. So, like, there's no like particular <laughs> game that like stands out as like, oh my god, that was awesome. You beat me very conv- convincingly. I suppose. Yeah, now that you say that, that was pretty good. I think that for me, like, the highlights have been the tournaments that we had uh, within the club, particularly the the one that we ran, uh, Triple and Siege. The atmosphere was so good. I mean, you and me put a lot of work into that, and for a habit to be received as well as it did, I think that was certainly one of the biggest highlights of the year yeah i think just being more active in in the community and like actually playing because the year previous i think that was kind of when like our group just started getting together and then i wasn't actually playing at the time i was just coming along to the meets the watch the first two or three times yeah and then i was just getting involved in playing and getting scripts of the game and just i'm not an amazing player but i've certainly gotten better um and like looking back on my early games i can definitely see a difference so having that kind of feeling of uh, progressions quite satisfying, especially when you spend so much time in the hobbies we do between painting and building lists and just being on forums and stuff. So, I would certainly say that for most improved player of 2017, it would be between you and Simon. 
Yeah. Because I think... Simon's pretty good. I always, I've always thought Simon was a pretty good player. So I, I'm taking that as a win. Yeah. It's pretty good. I think, like, I think Simon's got a lot better, particularly over the last wee while. Um, I think his results at Siege are kind of testament to that. And I think yeah, you, did, you've did certainly well. got a lot better because you were dog shit at the start of the year. <laughs> <laughs> I really was. <laughs> no, I'm joking. And, and to be honest, there's still times just there where I'm like, why the fuck did he do that? <laughs> no, I think that, I mean, I've always thought that Warriors is one of the harder armies to play. And I think your technical abilities definitely come off. A long, long way. This is me talking to my ivory tower of gaming greatness, you know, getting fucking humped at Midlands. It's funny because I think I would say for the first six months of the year, I think you had a really good, strong record. I don't think you were losing much at all. I think you had actually quite a good streak. And then your dice decided <laughs> to just stop passing leadership tests. <laughs> that was that like, was it. I peaked, peaked too early. Yeah, I'd say like quality-wise, it's fairly balanced in our group. Like, I don't think there's really ever the time where you're totally outplayed. I mean, by the sounds of things, like what you guys have said from when you've came back from, like, some of the tournaments elsewhere, like, I think the quality within our club is fairly balanced on the whole. So I think when you lose, really, in our club, it's really just comes down to dice or things don't go really go your way. So I think I think we're lucky in the sense that we're all kind of playing at the same level. We're all um, equally shit. We're all equally <laughs> shit, yeah. Basically, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Just say no we're highlights. Highlights, I think, yeah, I mean, similar to you, you know, just the us being more active, getting the, the podcast up and running, hosting the tournaments. Siege, I think, is my number one highlight. Not to say that all the other tournaments that I went to last year, of which there were a few, weren't great, but I thought Siege was just, it was such a good way to, like, kind of round off our gaming year as well. Winning Best Painted at Siege is probably second high, highlight because like you say it's just it's nice to get something back after putting so much time and effort in your your armies yeah definitely um, but, I think and, you were quite surprised when you got that I was yeah but you've probably got like out of everyone in the club that plays I mean your army's always fully painted like it's a rarity I think I've seen you play a game once that something was on the table that wasn't painted and that was last weekend yeah and you know what, what that did to me? I came home that <laughs> night and I was like, I can't do that again. <laughs> yeah, I've got paint and OCD, I think. I have to enjoy what I'm playing. I don't really mind, ironically, what my opponent has. I mean, it's obviously always nice to, have to go against a painted army, but yeah. um, I always feel that for me to really get, enjoy a game the most, I have to have everything painted. I think it's just Scottish guilt, really. It's like that Presbyterian guilt just seeping into our, our everyday mm. lives. But uh, yeah, so highlights just kind of the same stuff you said. Cool. So looking forward to 2018, it's going to be a busy year, Yeah, because we've got three big tournaments happening in Scotland yep. this year. We have the, first off, we have the Scottish Championships, which are the 10th and 11th of March, which is the the, comp- the singles competition, the singles GT, which has been run by the Scottish ETC team. So that's Felix and Co. So that's going to be, it's going to be really good. It's going to be the two days. If anyone's interested, they should definitely buy their ticket. Um, and then after that, we're going to have Strife. Strife. Strife in yeah. um in the summertime sometime. Yeah, June July. I don't have a date for that yet, but um I dare say that'll be something that we'll be confirming with Steve at Common Ground in the next wee while. I know Ed had mentioned it before Christmas that we should start thinking about how we want to run that. So cool. That'll definitely be happening. And is that's going to be a singles one day event yeah. probably. Yeah, it'll be a one day event and it'll be a singles tournament. Whether we add any kind of unique in-house rules to that, we don't know. Like I say, we need to kind of sit down and really discuss that. I think 
having that kind of aspect to Siege, I think that was really well received last year, so yeah. there's an argument to consider maybe doing something along those lines, but we'll see. Yeah, and then of course we've got, we're going to run Siege again. Yep. Uh, we started talking about how to run Siege this year, I think the night of finishing, so uh, yeah. really looking forward to that again. And that'll be October October time again, and likewise we'll probably, uh, summertime, you and I will need to sit down and talk about when we want to host it and stuff like that. Yeah, I think it's good. I mean, having the three tournaments kind of equally spaced throughout the year, it's good for a lot of us guys that find it more difficult to get to the tournaments elsewhere in the UK. Yeah, um, totally. But it's still it's a decent amount of time where you can get to other things in between. So I think that's a good solid number for kind of... Yeah. If you've got a very understanding girlfriend or wife like me, uh, you can <laughs> you can push yeah. your luck and get down a couple <laughs> as well. Um, speaking of which, there's going to be... A few tournaments to which we are looking at going to. So there's um, Durham might or might not run in February, March time. Um, of course, we'll need to keep an eye out on how close that is to the championship. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the Cardiff. I think it's a singles event they're going to run. Okay. It might actually be a team event. I have no idea. I've heard but... the, I've heard Firestorm Four is being mentioned. So that yeah. it might turn into a team event. And that's going to be go. that's going to be summertime. So I think if that works out timing, we could probably look at getting guys going down to that. And yeah, then, be nice. And then there's Mid Midlands again, and uh, I think there's probably a good chance that we'll send a team or a bunch of guys down. So yeah, it's, be good. yeah it's going to be busy um, because obviously alongside that we've got um, our monthly meets, and no doubt we'll come up with stuff to do uh, on the yeah. side. But I've got some ideas I'd like to do, um, just kind of small informal stuff, stuff that we can also cover on the podcast so yeah totally just kind of like bigger battles maybe doing like a we were going to do like a 10,000 point game before Christmas but just with the rules drops and stuff we just didn't have the time yeah but maybe it'd be good to do something like that once we've had a few more games very cool yeah and if we get to um, like we're trying to secure a display table at Carronade which is the biggest show wargaming show in Scotland it's bigger than Claymore now, um, so it would be good to you know get a display game going there, try and get some new people in, see what the, the game system's about. Just an excuse to play ninth. Oh, it? totally, yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Just to get our, our toys out, basically. Yeah. Um, and Andy and Ed and I were talking at the end of the year about trying to run a club campaign. That'd be awesome. Which would be, I mean, that would be so, so cool, but it's just organising it and Making sure that people still have time to practice for tournaments, which is a big thing, especially since there's so many happening. So, But I think that's definitely something that we can look into. Um, and obviously, if we do do something like that, we'll figure out how we can cover that in the podcast. I think um, that'd be good for the podcast in the new year to... Obviously, like we've got this up on SoundCloud, iTunes. We do have it up on YouTube. So it'd be good to have a kind of episode where if we are doing the battle reports, we can actually have a proper like, visual uh, representation of what we're talking about as well, so that's something yeah. to look into for developing the show. Get some pretty armies up there. Yep. Um, in terms of the podcast, uh, we, you and I were talking earlier today about you know moving forward, what we want to do this year with the podcast, um, and a big thing is going to be trying to get more people on, whether that's yep. people within our gaming group. So we've already had uh, Ed, who's had the background on, who's also a member of our group. We've had Andy on when we were doing the Midlands recap. And, I mean, we, we cover quite a lot of the armies. The vast majority of the armies are represented in some form in our group, so it'd be good to get different perspectives on about different topics. Maybe try and get some more kind of interview stuff going on. 
maybe get some different members of this, uh, the teams on, uh, talk to them about certain topics. Um, and actual topic-related episodes where if a, a topic pops up, uh, it might even be, you know, if any of you guys are listening and you want us to discuss something in particular, drop us an email and uh, we'll, we'll do some focused topic episodes where we maybe get a few different people on and get different perspectives. And uh, I mean, we're becoming more and more friendly with, you know, the guys from all over the place, whether that be, you know, Durham or the ETC team or uh, the, the Renegade boys, etc. So I think we there's a lot of space there to do some pretty cool episodes. Yeah, definitely. So it's nice to get other people on. Um, especially people that are involved uh, directly with the book and the rules and stuff. So good to get some of those chaps on, talk about some of the decisions that are going on with the 2.0 books. Absolutely. So um, before we go any further and we get into the main topic of the show, we have an email to read out, and it's from our number one fan, Tommy mm-hmm. Tucker, who apparently is the number one fan of every podcast. I'm not going to take that personally, but um, apparently he's a bit of a podcast slut. So, Tommy, a.k.a. our number one fan, sent his lovely email, and um, apologies to Tom, because he actually sent this uh, before Christmas, but because we had the the Empire Review, we couldn't get it included in that. Uh, so, it's a little bit bad to eat. He's talking about Midlands, so uh, you'll just have to bear with us a wee bit, but Tom wants us to read out the message in its entirety, and I think it would be rude not to. So, if you have no interest in what Tommy's saying... Uh, you can fast forward for five minutes because it's quite long. So here we go. And this is all direct quote. Are you right. going to do the accent? No, because Tom didn't actually talk that much when I met him. Oh, did he not? So I'm not 100% sure what his accent is. Is he from London? No, he's from Bath. Alright, okay. Yeah. I don't know what the Bath accent is. Yeah, fuck knows, eh? Um, so here we go. Right. I've had enough of you cunts trash-talking me on your shitty podcast, so I'm writing in to complain. Sincerely. If you carry on fucking harassing me on your platform, I'm going to report you to Ofcom for hurting my feelings, you bastards. Alex Salmon had it right. You fuckers should have gotten your bloody independence, and then I wouldn't have to listen to your silly little accents. And we should take a leaf out of Donald Trump's book and build a wall. Ouge. Now we just need to work in a Brexit in there, and I have definitely pissed you off. I should probably watch my P's and Q's as I happen to have had the pleasure of shaking the hand of Andy, or Andrew, a retarded Scottish name. I mean, you don't have to be Scottish to be called Andrew, but whatever. And you are about 16 feet tall, 6 foot 7 actually, so I might end up losing a few teeth if I ever bump into you at a tournament. Unlikely, because I'll probably be inhabiting the bottom tables, but you know, whatever. I guarantee you faggots, I mean, I don't know if that's appropriate in this day and age, Tommy, but okay. I guarantee you faggots won't read out all of this email on your shite cast, because A, you've got no balls, and B, you have some semblance of taste, and C, I overstretch myself with C. Joke's on you. Aside from lodging my graves end trout. That's fine, don't worry about it. I don't know what the fuck that means. We'll, we'll glaze over that. Aside from lodging my graves end trout of a complaint, I want you to I want your measly three listeners to hear my side of the Pigmar versus shittest wild fags matchup at mid teams. <laughs> <laughs> First off, I was seriously disappointed by the lack of ginger hair, tartan clothing and tenants lager. I mean come on guys for fuck's sake. You did do well on the accent side. I could hardly understand a fucking word that was said. <laughs> <laughs> you should really start teaching English north of the border. Pairings. First off, our captain, Jack Necrophiliac Austin, was way more fucking pissed than you guys gave him credit for. In the previous round, he had lost big to bloody dwarfs, having said, I just win big. <laughs> fucking Mal stabbed me in the back by swiping the easy bottom boy EOS player. That's me. 
and paired me into the Orcs, which is a very bad matchup for my expensive Dan Worshipping Warriors. The games. Right, so we were working under the impression that the head of background would be a pure fluff player and give up 20 points to our best player after 10 minutes. <laughs> However, it turns out that he is not a fluff player at all and is a bit of a gamey cunt. He bloody and sexually exploited our inebriated vampire player for a big win. Bastard. Luckily, Mal pumped that Empire chump boy good and proper. <laughs> I mean, it is true. <laughs> and uh, Phil, well, I can't remember what he did, but he had to play dwarfs, so we know he had a shit time, win or not. And finally, my supreme tactical acumen and skill at the game won through, and I won despite the bad matchup. Ha. On to my game. First off, who had a grudge against Mr. Doherty? Another solid Scottish name. All we needed was a Mac or something or other, and I would have been very satisfied to send him out to a knife fight with a bloody worn-out dildo of a list. And orcs. <laughs> they are utter shite. <laughs> Who decided a feral shaman on a wyvern with pyro was a good idea? <laughs> Luckily, Michael rolled like a boss and passed five out of five up ward saves, having charged him into a crusher cab unit questionable decision. Michael should have blown up my shrine with magic, and then his shooting may have achieved something as it was all his arrows all missed, all missed, sorry, because all of, of my shrine and his scratapults. Scatapults, sorry, that's a poo joke. Yep, yeah, he actually says that's a scat porn joke, by the way. Misfired and did bugger all. Uh, highlights of the game were his fucking scrap wagon rolling out of the box and killing my bloody chariot lord. Whoops. He charged his general into an ongoing combat between goblins and lost chosen. Unfortunately, the inevitable happened. The lord whiffed, and the chosen got pissed off with the goblins and went full fucking retard killing enough of them to auto-break both the goblins and the lord. They then chased down the lord, leaving the army to make break checks on a shaky leadership 6 or 7. Lol. After this, I was able to powerfully thrust my throbbing arm army deep. <laughs> I saw arm and got very concerned. Thrust my throbbing army deep into the warm, soft folds of the Scottish thistle. Mmm, sweet. In all seriousness, Michael was an absolute gent and a, and very gracious in defeat. Not like the player on the next table over. Crikey, he was a sore loser if I've ever seen one. Again, that's a reference to me. I think that's enough gloating for now. For a bit of context, I lost three and only one two that weekend. Sad face. I now understand why people bitch and moan about how OP beast herds are. They are fucking OP, and fuck ogres. Seriously, fuck ogres. In other news, you cunts had better do some serious 2.0 pimping when that comes out for my ears. Oh, comes. That's another sex joke. Also, you can't, tra- <laughs> can't trash talk the Veil podcast. It would be like West Side Story where Andrew and Craig get married at the end. I think I'm okay with that. That would be awesome. <laughs> anyway, I'd better let you get back to swilling iron brew and scoffing deep fried Mars bars. Don't knock it till you try it, mate. Don't take me seriously. I'm all about the jokes and laughs. Thanks for doing the podcast. This is a really great way to interact with the hobby. And thanks for playing us at mids. You guys were all fantastic opponents. I would come and play at your tournament, but I can't be fucked to travel that way. Chicago, no problem. <laughs> Sterling, way too far. <laughs> if you see me at an event, say hello. I am possibly much less offensive in person. Thanks again, Tom. What a lovely man. What a lovely, lovely gent. He's actually a big softy. But thank you for your, your email, Tom. And... uh Unlike some podcasts, we will read absolutely every email that's sent us. So, uh. Not that you're better in No, no, no. So, uh, feel free to send any more, uh, emails to scotchwildlands at gmail.com if you want to ask any questions or give us any advice or comments. Cool. So, on to the main topic of the show. 
let's talk about 2.0. So it came out just before Christmas. We've both had a chance to thoroughly read through the, the book, The Path. Uh, I, don't know about, I don't know about thoroughly, but we have read through it. We have read, sorry, yeah. Nothing we do is thorough. We've read the book. We looked at the pictures, and uh, we've had a chance to get a couple of games in. Yeah. So, Paul, let's talk. We'll talk about the rules as just as they are. Talk about the paths of magic, and then we'll talk about EOS and WDG. So, sure. f- first off the bat, the rules as they are. Have you been finding them? Um, for the most part, it plays pretty much as it did. There are certain things that I think when we've been playing games. I mean, certainly the games have been taking longer because we've been looking at a lot of things because we're checking to make sure that they are still the case. Um, I don't play a shooting army, so a lot of the changes to shooting, line of sight and stuff like that, that's not really been affecting my play. If anything, that kind of helps me, which is quite nice. Certainly the magic phase seems to be the biggest for me in terms of changes. The regular rules, not a huge, not a huge amount, really. No. No, I, I, like I say, I mean, it, it still feels like I'm playing Ninth Age. It doesn't feel like they've changed it to the point where it's a different game, which is good. Yep. Um, and that's pretty reassuring. So obviously the game's in a pretty secure footing. What about the uh, objectives? Oh, that was funny. First game, we played uh, the new one of the new deployment types. We played, um, what do you call it, Marching Column? Yep. Uh, I totally misdeployed. Uh, my list had way more drops in it than <laughs> I'm used to. Or I just really appreciated and just dropped too far into the centre of the table, which meant that I couldn't deploy in my chap. Could you just uh, uh, recap for our three listeners plus Tommy um, what the marching column deployment is? So basically, marching column, you deploy up 12 inches back from centre line, just like frontline clash. But you basically choose... So you choose a short table edge, you drop your first unit, and then every subsequent drop cannot be placed beyond that point. So you basically have to make sure that the centre of that second drop is further to that side of the first drop. So if you do what I did and you don't think about what the hell it is you're doing, you effectively can run out of space quite <laughs> quickly. So I basically left like 18 inches of a flank with nothing in it. So when I made my first drop, I had to continue on. I think it was just because I wasn't used to having that many units in the list. So I had nothing to do with you failing to read the, the deployment. Um, well, probably that, so, to be honest. <laughs> I can't so comment. I did the same thing. So Any unit that has failed, or what you can do, you can choose not to deploy a unit in that fashion. And any unit that isn't deployed straight off can come on uh, from turn two as an ambusher. But when you come on, you have to come on from as close to the centre of your back table edge. So you come on from behind. It's not like a regular ambush where you can choose from which side of the table you can come on at. So again, for me, because it was my chaff that was coming on the table, that was not really any good. And because I was playing an equity list, I was hesitant to move up the table. So turn two, most of my units were still fairly in and around my deployment zone. So when I was coming on, I didn't really have a lot of space to maneuver, which caused a lot of problems. I do like that, despite fucking it up. I think initially when I was when we kind of briefly talked about the the new deployments, don't think really appreciated how that can affect the game. But it's an interesting idea. It does add enough variety to it to kind of introduce something new. So yeah, I liked it. Played the Dawn Assault as well on the weekend. That's the other one. So that's when you choose a short table edge and you deploy 18 inches away from it. So again, it's like opposite deployments. So if you're deploying within three quarters, say, from the right side, your opponent would be also deploying three quarters in from his right side. So you yep. basically have a quarter um, of each side where you can't actually deploy anything in. So it's like a kind of, it's almost like 
you're both trying to like flank one another almost. Yeah. Because there's an overlap. In terms of the secondaries, we played Breakthrough, which hasn't changed, and we also tried uh, Flags, which there was some confusion to whether or not we were playing that properly because uh, Nick, who I was playing in my second game, he had had Beast Herd Army. He only had two or three scoring units. And so we had to choose. We weren't sure whether or not that meant that, because I had something ridiculous like seven. Is it the total number of scoring units has to be the same or is it just is it just a minimum of three? Minimum I think it's of just three. A, yeah, so it's just yeah. a minimum of three. So. Yeah, because it's you actually just how many scoring units you can kill now. So it punishes yeah. MSU units. Yeah, so if you've got loads of scoring units, it can be quite hard to kind of hold on to the secondary because you're basically giving away targets. And um, you had quite a fun game when you played at Hold the Ground because yeah. that changed as well. Yeah, I'm an idiot. I've got no excuse for doing this either because not only had I actually like read the rules, which always helps, but um, because I've been involved with the Scottish ETC team and helping <laughs> Felix and stuff like that, Felix had very kindly gone through all the rules and uh, sent everyone a 2.0 cheat sheet where it explained all the changes in bold red. And uh, so it used to be that there was just a counter in the middle and it's whoever holds it at the end of the game wins secondary. So when I played Nick, I was under the impression that was the exact same. So I had two mobile fast units, I had a unit of knights and a unit of chickens floating about and I jumped on the objective turn six after Nick's longhorns had been kind of meandering about the middle of the board for the most of the game. And in turn six, uh, Nick realised that the objective has now changed, and now for Hold the Ground, you get a, a counter for each turn where you have a unit in the radius of the centre of the board. Mm. So we worked out that Nick had something like four or five counters, because the Longhorns had just been sitting there <laughs> all game. So um, I was playing a different objective from Nick. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a bit... Yeah, it's things like that. I mean, like, the overall like secondary hasn't yeah, but it's like these little tweaks where it's like, oh, that is different. And I think that's the case with the majority of the changes to the general rules. It's nothing's that major, but there are tweaks that you do need to be aware of. And just with certain rules having different names now as well. So yeah. in certain cases, it's not just it's the same rule with a different name. I think because you're conscious of it, it's got a new name. You think, oh, there's probably more changes there than there are. Um, certainly in some cases I think that's the case but yeah, yeah and the, the new the rules t- as in like the new new rules that have been added like uh, yeah. decimated and fizzle well for me personally they've not sunk in yet no like there was a couple times where I'd do my turn and then it wasn't until my opponent's turn where I was thinking about things and I was like oh, shit I forgot to do fizzle or I should have taken a decimate test there and you know but I think that's more just getting used to the rules overall. Like the little tweaks, I don't think there's anything major. I think um, with the changes as well, they're, I think on the most part, I think they're fine. I don't really have any problems with yeah, the changes. Yeah, no, I like it. The new terrain and stuff, I don't think we played with so far. In the, in my, I've only played three games, um, the new rules, and we haven't bothered using like chasms and cliffs and stuff. Um, no. So still need to see how that factors in. I guess it just depends on what your gaming group's like if you use a lot of terrain and stuff. I, I like having a lot of terrain on the table, so... Yeah, I like it as well. Um, I think that... I, I don't particularly like the chasm and cliffs breakup. I think that chasm can probably be abused in some circumstances, and I just... I don't like the name cliff for the other one. Like, some terrain maps where you put out, you say that's a cliff, and it's, like, in the middle of a flat plane. 
uh, immersion wise I don't particularly like that but um, yeah I agree overall uh, I, I mean I enjoy 99% of everything they've changed or tweaked um, it is just a case where I don't feel confident now to just say what I think a rule means like I'm still at the stage where I just want to double check everything to make sure that I've not missed something that's changed yeah I think that was I think we probably added 45 minutes on our how long we would normally take to play a game simply yeah, because totally. we were checking things. Yeah, I'll be interested to hear how uh, the guys at the Masters do this weekend. Because obviously <laughs> um, like we're recording today, which is the 10th, and this weekend's the Masters in the UK. And uh, this, I think that's the first major tournament that's happened in the 2.0. I don't think there's been... I know that the Fantasy guys had theirs, um, yeah. but it was kind of more a funny, fun tournament. Is that the giant one? Yeah, yeah. Where like everyone could take a giant, which looked pretty cool. Um, so I'll be interested to hear the feedback from the Masters players on just about everything, because that'll be a real test of the, the rules pack as it is just now. I mean, I can't foresee any major issues. Um, How about, because yeah. um, you do play kind of a shooting heavy army, like the changes to that phase, did you feel that added quite a lot, or did you feel it took away anything from how you would normally play? I like it just because... The same with a lot of rules that they've changed. It looks more complicated, but actually, once you've read it and you've kind of processed it, it's actually a lot easier to get your head around. It just right. it doesn't it doesn't roll off the page the way that you know some of the stuff does. Uh, and I think shooting's an example of that, like the line of sight thing where everything blocks. It's just it's nice and simple now. And I always found it a bit stupid that you could shoot through units anyway that were the same height. Yeah, so, I think for new players reading this is going to make more sense. Like, this is more intuitive. For me, coming into the game and learning, you know, what gave you soft cover, what gave you hard cover and stuff, this makes more sense. Yeah. And they've clarified cover as well, because there's, like, stuff for ruins and forests where it was, like, um, like majority footprint blocked by it, whereas now it's quite clear that, you know, if more than half your footprint's obscured by it, you take the cover for it, but it's individual line of sight and everything. So I think it's just it's clearer on a lot of the areas that were a bit ambiguous. Um, yeah. So I think it will be easier for newer players, especially. But no, I like it. Um, I mean, the big change is obviously magic. I can appreciate people saying that they missed the randomness um, because magic before was very hit and miss. You could end up with 12 dice, you could end up with 2 dice. It's a lot safer now. I'd say... Seven times out of ten, you can predict what you're going to have in terms of dice, which yeah. is good in a way because you can kind of plan your strategy around that. Depending on how you build your list and what lowers you take on things, you can stack the dice in your favour. So tactically, that's still an option, yep. which is good. Um, I think there were only a couple of phases in the two games that we played on the weekend where I had more than three more dice than my opponent did. And that tends to be later in the game. So if you're playing something like Evocation because you're constantly getting deal tokens from successfully casting spells. That's quite nice. So you can kind of guarantee being able to cast throughout, which is yeah. quite good. It's, it is more predictable. So like I say, I can appreciate people saying that it's, it's a lot more boring. But I think as time goes on, I think people will appreciate it a little bit more. Um, because you, you can generally always get one or two spells off a phase now, mm. which is nice because magic feels like it's worth taking. Yeah, totally. I um, I love the new magic phase. I think it's great. Yeah. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think I've never been hugely into, ironically, the magic side of the, like fantasy gaming. I never really was drawn towards like heavy magic. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, like even when I had the vampire counts in, in Warhammer, I always went blood dragons just because I couldn't be fucked with the magic basically. <laughs> and uh, now playing this, like magic feels like almost like a mini game. Yes, yeah. it's, it's very tactical. Uh, like you say, you never get a massive advantage anymore, which I know some people are complaining, but I actually really like it because it it basically comes down to on a good magic phase, you've maybe got three or four extra dice. Yeah. Which wasn't massive before. That was kind of like, that's like an okay magic phase. But now that probably means that you're going to get one or two spells off that you really want. Because you don't get the um, additionals to dispelling, you only really get them to cast. Yeah. That's a massive element of the game as well. And stuff like the bound spells, which are normally like four and eight cast and value, depending on, like, so for two dice, most of the bound spells are if you use two dice it goes off on a four um, if you use three it goes off on an eight which when I read that in the, in the rules I thought that is dog shit that is killed bounce spells I'm not interested in taking bounce spells anymore and then actually when I played I played Nick in my first game at the weekend and he's got Beastman and his totems like he was just like I, I don't even know if I want to cast totems because it doesn't work and I was like ah but you don't really get you don't get the pluses to miscast uh, sorry dispel so if you only put two down on a, a bounce spell, your opponent has to basically decide, am I going to try and be cheeky and one dice that, or am I going to match it, or even three if I really want to make sure that that doesn't go off. That's achieving what you want to do there, which is eat dice, or you know have it in the pocket. If that he blocks your other magic, at least you're getting something off. So I think magic is very tactical now. Um, I yeah. enjoyed it. I thought the, the cards might get annoying. I've never really liked, you know, the use of cards in wargaming, but um, I really didn't mind them. I thought they were fun. I really enjoyed it. I'm actually, I'm looking forward to that phase now in the game, which before I was never, Magic was always kind of like the precursor to the serious stuff, like like shooting. Yeah, <laughs> so. before, like I think for the majority of my games, I didn't even use it. I didn't even bother taking it. Yeah. Now, I mean, the rules have only been out for a few weeks, but I'd say in about 90% of the lists that I've made, magic is represented. And like you say, with the bound spells, I think tactically now, I think they work better now if you do have a dedicated caster, because you can kind of beat your opponent's dice. So you can hold, if you have a good phase and you have eight or nine dice, then that's huge, because you could potentially try and cast two to three spells, hold four dice back. Your opponent has to make the decision, do I try and get rid of those spells and if you do that then okay you've got four dice left but that's two bounce spells yep and you don't even have to roll for them yeah it's just i know guaranteed i'm going to get these spells off so it does add a lot to the tactics of the game so i think bounce spells are certainly still viable i think they just need to be combined with a dedicated caster i think that's how it should be i think before when people could just bring bounce spells and run a list that way because they were so strong in the game, it just felt like bound spells were the de facto choice. If you could bring them, you would just bring them. Because yeah, why? they were so much cheaper as well, normally. So why, yeah. yeah, like Empire is a good example of that, and Beast Herd as well, where you had access to cheap bound spells, and you could bring a lot of them. So yeah. if you brought even like two prelates and an altar, that's, you know, combined to seven spells you've got there. So he's not going to stop everything. Whereas now, I don't think you could, I don't think an all-bound spell, uh, sorry, an all-bound spell army is going to be particularly 
good. I mean, I think you could still do it. You just need to bring enough of them. Uh, but every, like you, every list I've written for 2.0 has included a wizard master, just because that that edge in casting yeah. is so important now. So I think you either you yeah. bring multiple low level casters and you have a strategy as to how they are going to work together, or you take one master, uh, sorry, yeah, low level caster, or you take one master and you basically build your magic phase around him. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm really enjoying it, and for the first time ever, the wizard is the first thing in my army list for empire. And that's never that's never been the case. So, yeah, no, I I, I'm really enjoying it. Being able to choose spells is so huge because massive. Again, before that was always a major benefit of bound spells. Yeah, was because you knew what you you know what you can cast because you were with EOS. You bring you bring one guy; he's got access to three. If you bring dwarves, they can they could always choose what bound spells they wanted to run in the list. And if you're beast herds, you can choose it when you're running your or writing your list. Whereas now, because you can do that with every lore, every path, that kind of robs bound spells of that advantage. So, again, it just encourages people to actually take proper wizards, which yeah. is good. And like you say, it's a fantasy game, so that should be the case. Like, oh, yeah, totally, yeah. There should be every incentive to bring magic into the game, so I really like that. Yeah. So let's talk about... Um, oh, sorry, before we do that, any, any rules that you want to flag up? Not off the top of my head. Have you got any? That might jog... A memory of something that's came up in the um, games. I mean, the only rule that I've come up like in in playing the two point games, the only rule that's come up that I've been like, ah, I, I missed the old version. Of that. I don't really dislike the new old, but I missed the old version. Is the cooked fire, and that's on the writer because, like, I mean, I said to you before we start recording that writer were always good, and that you could throw them in front of an enemy unit as chaff, and when they charge you, you could maybe do a couple wounds because you've you know you've got all those, you know, fairly accurate strengthful shots. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, basically when you use them as chaff, you're sacrificing that unit so that they're proper chaff, whereas they used to be spiky chaff. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a couple instances in my in my games at the weekend where I missed being able to just to do maybe a couple wounds. But that's really the only rule that I've come across so far where I'm like, uh, I don't know if I like that. But I, I totally understand why they did it. It's not like I dislike the rule, I just kind of miss it for that aspect of my army. Um, about like frenzy, have you? Do warriors even have any friends anymore? No, they've taken it out of the book. We right, don't have anything okay. for that rule, which I like. I can't think of anything in the general rule book that came up rules wise that I thought that oh, that's shit. There is stuff in my book, but we'll get to that later. So let's quickly talk about the paths of magic before we talk about the uh, army books. So as a warriors player, you have access yeah, to alchemy, evocation, yeah. and occultism. I do. So what have you thought about them? I think I'm finding it really hard not to take evocation. Oh yeah? Yeah, I really like it. Cool. Like every like the first three games I ran evocation. It certainly suits our aggressive combat army. It does. It's funny, I think it's just the name. I think you just have like connotations of how you associate things with and evocation, there's still part of my brain that's like, Why do we have this again? Like this should just be fucking dead stuff. <laughs> But um, it's really good, like really good. I really like the magical move. It's just super useful, especially yeah. if you're not if you're not paying the points for a lot of the magical banners. It's really nice just for like shenanigans. So just you know, if you can't get out of, out of someone's arc, you think right, I'm going to definitely try and bait out my person's my opponent's dice, and I'm going to try and get that off. Touch of the Reaper is really good. I really like that kind of anti-character spell. The rerolls. It's funny. I'm kind of surprised. We do have access to this because that's 
we have access to these effects via some of the new favors. I think because they've taken favors away from some units, it makes sense. So you can kind of get, get these. It, yeah. You can kind of get around it that way. But being able to take a unit with a favor that gives you rerolls to hit, and then being able to cast a spell on it that gives it rerolls to wound, is nasty. Poten- potentially bananas. Yeah, I really like the fact that we've got a spell as well to like debuff like enemy offensive skill and, and things. Um, that's something I really like in a lot of the lores like divination and things like that, where you can kind of target those kind of characteristics. Yeah. Uh, so I, I quite like that as well. I think all in all, it's just a really solid lore. And like I say, the attribute's awesome. We don't have a lot of kind of unit entries with channel. I think we've got Sorcerer can channel, the Battle Shrine can channel, and that's it. So I like taking one of each and the artifact to give you an additional channel. So you're getting three a turn. Yeah, so you're guaranteed one extra dice, plus you're picking up anything that you're getting with spells. So by the later phases in the game, you know, you're you're basically got an extra two magic dice per turn. Yeah. Over your opponent. And that's enough for a bounce spell. So if you do bring the shrine, then you've got that added benefit where you can basically get a kind of damage spell off. It's not perfect, but we'll get to some of the that's just because some of the yeah. early special so we'll get to. But yeah, uh-huh. evocation is really good. Yeah. I really like it. I think channel channel two or channel three is what you need. I don't think channel yeah. one is enough. Whereas if you go channel two or three, you're essentially, you know, you're always going to get extra dice. Yeah. And being able to pick your spells, I mean, that kind of ties in with that, so that if you're really designing your army around certain spells, you need to guarantee that you've got as much dice to get that spell off. Yep. Um, occultism, it's funny, in 1.3, I never looked at occultism as a, like, a lore that I would want to take. I mean, I never ran a super heavy barbarian-themed list, so sacrificing super expensive warriors and things. I just thought, nah, why the hell would I do that? I don't know why, but just looking at it now within the context of the new book, it just makes more sense to me. It's somewhat similar to Evocation. It's got some spells that have similar effects. You've got a debuff spell. You've got character spells. You've got some direct damage spells, which is nice. Something like anti-unit stuff. So there's like the 2d6 strength hits with strength 5. The Grave Call spell, which is pretty good. Yep. And if you do run like a, a barbarian themed list because of the sacrifice rule, that kind of ties in with the soul token mechanic that we have in the book. If you mm-hmm. pay for an item, um, you can basically use barbarians to fuel the, the, the Hellfire hereditary spell, yep. which you wouldn't normally be able to do, which is pretty cool. So I think from a fluff perspective, occultism is definitely more attractive now. And if you're on the right type of list, I think that's really effective. And alchemy has always been good. Again, it's just a really solid lore. Everything in it is useful. Yeah. Um, so on the whole, the paths that we've got access to are good. We can't really complain. I'd like an extra one. That would be more on the main gripe. I think the fact that we've only got three is a little bit lame. Um, yeah. But, so, I mean, fluff-wise, something like witchcraft or even shamanism you know it's i don't see why you couldn't make the argument there you have access yeah to that. i think supposedly our army strength is large damaging spells so if you look at the three lowers we've got pyromancy makes the most sense because we've really only got alchemy that fits that and i think occultism and evocation complement each other really well i think shamanism and witchcraft are quite similar the fact that we lost shamanism uh, makes me think that we'd almost be less likely to get that back if they were to decide to give us another path. Yeah. Um, but you never know. 
I do really like it. It does overcome a lot of the weaknesses in the in the list in terms of you know, protecting us from shooting. Witchcraft is the same. It's got some nice spells. If I had to choose a spell, if I had to choose a lore, I'd choose Pyromancy, just so we can actually do dedicated damage from range. If you had Pyromancy as a an option, would you would that be your number one? In certain lists, it definitely would be. It's just everything in it's good. Um, I think most of the paths are are good paths. Pyromancy just seems to, I don't know, just seems to call to me. <laughs> like a very warrior's thing. Yeah, well, to do. it's true. It fits the fluff, yeah. But um, what do you think with the new paths? Um, you took your got cosmology. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so we've got um, alchemy, cosmology, divination, and pyromancy. And all of those are, are good lores. Um, all of them kind of play to slightly different playstyles and how you want to use them, which I really like. I can't really see past cosmology just now, though. Yeah, it's very good. It's yeah, it's the range. I've decided this is it. It's the combination of the kind of medium level casting rules and the twenty four inch range, and particularly for Empire, there's actually quite a lot of variety in their spell choices. So yeah, you can you can choose the spells which best fit the situation. And because Empire have the hereditary, where you can take the number one from another path, and that doesn't um, that doesn't affect the limitations on spell choice from a single path. So you can take two ones or whatever. I think it's cosmology plus the other lores is very powerful. For example, at the weekend, um, when I played Nick, I took cosmology as my main uh, lore, and then yeah. I took... No, I didn't. I just took all cosmology spells, because I didn't think the number ones would really help me. The other number ones would really help me okay. against Nick. Whereas when I played Monroe, who was using his Dread Elves in the second game, I took the number one spell from Pyromancy. Thanks. Because elves hate strength for shooting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And it worked, because Fireball was such a low casting value, where I think three of my magic phases, that was the first spell, spell I cast, because it forces him to dispel it and use up his dice. And then after that, that's when I started casting the uh, the cosmology stuff, which was getting through. So I don't know if they're going to change cosmology, because across the board it's getting good reviews, and I think a lot of armies are enjoying it. For Empire, it's like really, really good. Particularly with its actual its own synergy with the other lords because of the, the hereditary. So, from a purely selfish perspective, I don't really want them to change it that much. Yeah. But if they do change it, I, I, I understand because um, everyone's really raving about cosmology just now. I guess it's kind of like part of that will just be the, the new hotness. It's the new thing that you've not had. This is true. Yeah. People will want to use it. I think it's probably the same with my army with evocation. It is really good. Like when we did a review before Christmas, we kind of mentioned cosmology. When I saw it, I thought that was probably going to be the new hotness. The best, just because, yeah, just because <laughs> it's so versatile. Yeah. I mean, you've got, if you take four spells from there, you've effectively got eight. Absolutely. Because you can choose what each does, so it's amazing. Yeah, and I haven't quite got my, I haven't got, like, the, the knack to doing the Chaos Cosmos, but there is absolutely a knack yeah. to be had there, where if you plan your magic phases well enough, you can really get the most out of that. Because there's rarely a magic phase where you want to cast all Cosmos or all Chaos. Yeah. I do think overall, particularly for Empire, where you, you want to be buffing more than debuffing most of the time, you do kind of want more Cosmos effects than Chaos. But like Ice and Fire, both of those damage spells are good in certain situations. So, it's really good. Yeah, no, I really, really like it. That Ice and Fire spell is arguably better than my Hereditary spell. Yeah, I think if any of the spells are going to be changed, it's going to be Ice and Fire. And I think the the Cosmos version is fine. 
where it's strength four AP zero and it's got divine flaming and magical. I think the yeah. the chaos one where it's two D six strength four AP three. I think that's probably probably too good. I think so. I mean, my hereditary is two D six strength two AP two. Yeah, I can boost it. It can be better with the the, the army um, mechanic, but yeah, that just getting strength four AP three off the bat. That's really yeah. But then you can go to the Saurian Ancients Hereditary, where it's range 36, D6, Strength 5, AP2, or Strength 6, <laughs> AP3. So Yeah. Well, we won't talk about the Saurian Ancient book. No, we won't, because uh, Slanrat did a great job of talking about that by themselves. So let's not cover well-trodden ground. Um, so moving on to... Appreciate... Oh, sorry, what are you saying? I was just going to say, I did appreciate the war fate that was coming off the pod. Yeah. It's funny how that's just it's a universal theme. Everyone hates dwarves. <laughs> yeah. I feel sorry for Andy sometimes. He's just like, oh, you were picking on dwarves again. <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, Andy, you should have picked you know, a better Andy, army. It's funny, because Andy's such a nice guy, and yet... He plays dwarves, though. He plays this army that everyone fucking hates. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Andy. Right, so the books themselves. Uh, so, in the time that we've got remaining, I really kind of want to just talk about Warriors. Sure. But I will just very quickly pick a couple things that I've kind of got the feeling of for the Empire book. Especially because I've got my new shiny role as uh, EOS community support. So it would be remiss of me not to. Um, so the top things from the Empire book, having reviewed it and then obviously playtested it now. Uh, number one, rockets are amazing. For 180 points. I don't even care when they take wounds because the big thing for me was I hated when artillery misfired because you essentially lose two turns of shooting and those first three turns of the game are vital for shooting. So if you misfire in any of those turns, it hurts you so badly. Uh, so the fact that you just take wounds and the fact that you can actually get those wounds back via cosmology, albeit just one at a time, massive. Really, really good. Actually. Number two, I used the chicken. I used Big Bird, the Griffin Lord. And I just threw him in there actually just out of love for the model that I've got for him. And the way that he looks with the the chicken knights. And actually, I was very surprised how good he was. Because you can now give him a one-up armor save. Either a ward save or... I think you'd probably give him a one-up and uh, the the regen. Having the one-up, toughness five, really, really good. Because it means small arms fire isn't really going to hurt you that much. Which was a big thing before, because the best you could give him was a three-up armor. So if you threw enough shots at him, you're going to start failing saves. Particularly stuff like pyromancy. Because the way... I tested them out before was with the three up, four up regen, but because Pyromancy had the AP as well and it removed your regen, Pyromancy could just devastate him. So he normally just spent most of the game hiding. Uh, but I was really, really enjoyed what he brought to the army. So I'll definitely be trying him out again this weekend. Spears are amazing. Yeah, Heavy. I think we thought that was going to be like yeah. the default choice in a lot of unit trips. It is confirmed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I used the unit 35 spear with the BSB in there, and the BSB had the death warrant, which gives the unit battle focus if he yeah. does successful hits. It doesn't work if they are charged, because then they're the same initiative, and it's got yeah. to be subsequent initiatives. But if they charge, the amount of hits you can rack up is awesome. And yeah. all those attacks. They actually didn't get charged in either of the games I played at the weekend. They bo- in both games, they charged. And admittedly, both times they charged, they got into flanks. But they just decimated the unit that they charged. They charged the unit of Corsairs, blew them apart, and they charged um, a unit of Wildhorns, blew them apart. So the Agility 4 on the charge? Agility 4 on the charge. I love that as well. Actually, that's something we should have said in the book. The plus 1 Agility on the charge? Awesome. Really like that, especially for Empire. Because it means 
that you can strike at the same time as a lot of stuff that would hit before you before. Yeah, I mean, if you if you get the charge off, you're going at the same time as yeah. warriors. Yeah, which I've got I've got no issue striking at the same time with stuff, but there was always like you were saying about the elves, like if you were charging something that hit you first, um, there was a good chance that your unit would be decimated by the time you could actually strike, strike back and. You know, for Empire, where you're also toughness three guys with shit armor most of the time, apart from like the heavier stuff, um, that was you know really hurt you. Whereas now, except from elves, obviously, um, unless they charge you with spears, haha, um, you're going to be striking at the same time, if not before stuff, which is really really cool. I really like that. Um, and the final big thing, as we kind of thought in our review, light infantry are fucking awesome. <laughs> Did you run them with crossbows? I ran them with crossbows. So, um, after we did our review, I asked all our guys in our group, crossbows or handguns, and I asked, uh, I asked Felix and I asked oh, some other people. It might be on the forum, I, I put the question up, and everyone said crossbows, which was good because I was in the middle of painting all those handguns. <laughs> 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 they all got put aside. Uh, so I broke out the, the crossbows again. Um, and I think crossbows are definitely the way to go because the extra range, particularly yeah. they synergize really well with the volley guns because mm-hmm. a lot of stuff can't compete with you at 30 inches, so they'll try and get closer and if they get closer, they, they get smacked with the volley guns. The accurate order is fucking amazing. The firing three ranks is amazing. Um, all good stuff. I think the army overall performed better at the weekend, just out of like itself. In terms of reservations, I think our reservations about the more static shooty this is true, and I think that's just because the shooting stuff in the, the army book just performs better now. And I don't think there was a way to get around that. Um, I know that's something that Felix and I and Dan as well are talking about quite a lot just now is the community supports, trying to see if we can not make it as dominant a playstyle as it might turn out to be. I play combined arms lists. I don't normally go for skewed lists, and at the weekend it was combined arms where I had shooting but also had mobile combat stuff and um, it worked really well so all good stuff from Empire that's what you want yeah yeah and the two units of three chickens is a winner <laughs> I've decided yeah <laughs> you always liked the chickens I did always like them I think I was just doing it wrong before I think because I, I liked the knightly order so much that I never really gave the chickens a fair looking whereas now obviously knightly orders are gone and I think the core knights when you upgrade them are horrendously overpriced for what they are um, I've been looking more at the, the chickens, so I've been using the 2-3 man units, and they're really, really good, because they're disposable, because they're cheap enough to be disposable, but in the right stuff, they, they work really well. So Yeah, I think they're, they're threatening enough that you have to deal with them. Yeah, you don't want them getting in the flanks and stuff like that, so you can't ignore them. No. But at the same time, if you go chasing after them, they're 330 or 350 points, depending if you give them a standard, because you're going to give them a musician and the lance and shield upgrade. They're just, they're so cost-effective. So... Yeah, no, really, really good. I think there's still areas that the book needs to address. Stuff like the steam tank is still too slow, and that's something the community has talked about. Imperial Guard with great weapons still probably won't be as popular as Hand Weapon Shield. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, that was something I'd never really considered, but it's a big thing on the forum. Um, and Flagellants, that was the only prediction that I really got wrong when we were going through the book. So Flagellants are getting a bad rep on the forum. Why is that? Yeah, because... A lot of people quite liked having the, the ten man units as the holy hand grenade idea, where you just threw yeah. them at something. So the the fifteen man units, because they're more expensive now for fifteen, it's two thirty. The loss of the extra attack with frenzy, they've got battle focus, but there's complaints that it's not as reliable. Which it's true, it's not as reliable. 
Okay. Um, so yeah, because I, when I read that their stats initially, I was thinking you're going to see 30-man units of flagellants on the table again. But that combined with the, the great weapons, so they're striking at initiative zero. I mean, they, they get strike anyway, but... Uh. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I only really ever seen them being used in 10-man units and yeah. they're really just roadblocks. And you would have to throw something at it See, this is the thing. Because they're unbreakable, you have to throw something at it that can clear them. But chances are that means throwing something at them that is more expensive. Yeah. And so you're hesitant to do that because you know they're getting to strike and because they do have great weapons. And if you don't kill them, then your expensive thing is now stuck where you don't want it to be. So I think they're quite a good unit still. I think they're quite a good tactical thing that you've got access to. I just like the idea of running like big blocks of them just because I think it looks really cool. But because you are tend to run mixed arms, it just becomes too much of a heavy points investment that just takes away from elsewhere in the list. So yeah, you know that's interesting. Like what? Like why are uh, hand weapon and shields imperial guards the kind of new thing then? Um, so I mean about? they were quite popular in one point three. Uh, quite a lot of people used them. Um, basically, Is that just because they had better armor save and parry and all exactly. The rest? So they've, they've got parry, three up armor. Bodyguard. They're just they're hard to shift, and if you right. buff them, you know they they can get some teeth as well. Um, and just now the feeling on the forum from uh, some of the Empire players is that if you give them the great weapon, the four up armor isn't enough to protect them from shooting and because you only toughness three. If it gets through your armor, you're going to lose a lot of bodies. Um, and at three points a model, it's probably not worth that trade off. You're better using them as an anvil. They're more cost effective as an anvil rather than a hammer. I, just, I don't like the idea of using them with hand weapon shield, but that's just me personally. Whenever I've used them, I've used them with the, the great weapons, because I just like them to punch. But one of the suggestions just now is to do what they did with the halberds, and just give them shields, and that you just pay for the great weapon. So, like the uh, Dwarven Kingsguard, who have great weapons, but they've also got shields, so you've got the extra pip of armour against shooting, but in combat you lose it for the great weapon. Okay. Um, I think that's that, cool. yeah, I think that that's a cool thing. Um, I don't know if they need to tweak points if they're doing that. They probably do, uh, just a little bit. But um, yeah, I think that's that's one suggestion that I liked. Most of the stuff that we were talking um, with the community about in the forum is all kind of relatively minor stuff. The big thing was knights, okay. the, the changes to knights, and that was one of the ones yeah. that were upset about that. But actually, playing games now because other options got better. I don't miss the, the nightly orders the way that I thought I would. So I would say I'm satisfied now. And overall, I think the army's in a better place than it was. But I think there's still some bits that we can probably do a bit better and bits that need to be slightly improved so everything's on par. The playstyle uh, issue about you know static gun lines yeah, versus other yeah. things is something that we need to keep an eye on. But actually, I, I don't know if it's as big a deal as maybe we think it is. So, But, you know... That's something that we're just going to have to talk to the community a lot about and see how things pan out. Because, I mean, Felix and I, and Dan as well, we're, we're all very much aware that, you know, we've only had it for less than a month, really. So we're going to have to wait a little bit and see how the dust settles. So Yeah, I mean, a lot of this stuff will come out just with people playing the game and actually seeing how things operate on the table. Yeah, totally. I think reading the book as a non-Empire player... I think the book you've got is, is pretty good, and the fact that despite having certain reservations, it's still fun to play. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. So that's good. They're obviously on the right road with the book. And I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to the weekend to give it another spin. So yeah, no, I, I am I am pleased with the new book. Awesome. And that has nothing to do with me getting on the EOS team. <laughs> <laughs>
because I would be the first to tell them that they're doing it wrong if it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said to me that you thought you were getting fired after like a few hours of agreeing to actually. Yeah, Dan and I before. disagreed about nights, and I thought, okay, I'm going to get fired. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, no, it's good. And you know, part of the reason that I was brought on as well is to provide a different perspective. And I think that actually the OS team between Felix, myself and Dan, although Dan is going to be leaving soon, I think it's working pretty well just now. Right, let's talk Warriors, Paul. Let's talk Warriors. So the first of the new shiny books. The first of the next stage in Ninth Age Gaming. Yeah. So I'll just say to begin with. uh, (laughs) Disclaimer. (laughs) Well, not a disclaimer. What I was going to say was, there's some things in the book that are good, and there's some things in the book that are bad. I think one of the best things about the book is just the production quality. Like we said at the beginning, like it looks amazing. The art's fantastic. The layout's very good. Background is really fun to read. It just as an overall product, I think it's really reassuring that this is kind of what everyone's going to get. And I think once it's fully done and finalised, I'm definitely going to get a hard copy. I think I'm going to get a hard copy. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something else. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we were doing so well. And you. I know, right? Yeah. Yeah, never mind. Um, so, right off the bat, kind of well done, pat on the back to everyone involved in producing the book. And even, like, my biggest rapes with the book is really at the rules end of things and how it's gone down the design path with regards to strengths and weaknesses. For all that, I disagree with certain parts of it, like, Again, full credit to the rules guys, because you can tell there's been a lot of work that's gone into it. So I think all round, I think it's, like I say, it's really reassuring that this is the kind of standard that people are going to get. Yeah, so. sure. So do you think it's like a good idea, but the execution's just not been where it should be? In terms of the rules? Yeah, yeah. I think one of the general things, and it's been picked up on the forum in a few places, is obviously everyone's aware that with all the new armies, there's a guideline to strengths and weaknesses that every army has to obey by. I think with regards to our book, it feels like the weaknesses have very been stringently imposed. The strengths, some of them still feel that they're kind of lacking. It's almost been like they've been afraid to really make the strong elements as strong as they should be, and they've erred on the side of caution, which I understand because they wouldn't want to bring it out and everyone be like this completely overpowered and maybe it's better to err on the side of caution, but I think my biggest kind of disappointment is that it just doesn't read on the rules side of things anyway as being a particularly fun army. It just feels very one-dimensional. So let's let's unpick that a bit more. So how are the rules stopping you from getting the most out of your army? Because, I mean, in 1.3 in previous editions, God bless you, you stuck with the Warriors. (laughs) But they they weren't, you know, they weren't amazing rules-wise. And, you know, I think they were quite a hard army to get the most out of in, in, the, in the game because, I mean, they don't compete in an entire phase and then Magic was, you know, Magic wasn't great before, so there was a lot of times where they didn't even compete in that one. So yeah, you, had to, mean, you had to do a lot in your movement in combat. You did, and I think, effectively, that was the problem before. It was a two-phase army. I mean, Magic was, wasn't was really worth it. Certainly with the general changes to Magic, Magic is definitely a thing now in the book, which is very good. And they've introduced the soul token mechanic to the book, which is supposed to fuel our Magic phase and make it easier to cast more damaging spells. And that's debatable in terms of how effective that's actually been. With regards to how it's actually made it more difficult to play, first of all, there's less things in the book. They've cut things that we had before. And their argument has been that 
I think it was probably the biggest book. It had the most unit entries. They had to kind of condense it somewhat and simplify it. What's to balance cut? it out. Well, we don't have Wrath Priests anymore, oh, which course. was kind of yeah. my default general for most of 1.3. So I liked running super cheap characters and having more points to spend on actual units. Uh, trolls aren't there anymore. Yep. The Hell Cannon's gone. Yeah. It's kind of been replaced what by the Hell Maw, though, isn't it? So... They've said it's been replaced by the Hellmod. That's debatable. Like I'm, I was never like you know a Hell Cannon, but it's not the same. I mean, people brought the Hell Cannon to do damage from range. The Hellmod doesn't do damage from range. Fair enough. Yeah. And as the rules stand, the Hellmod's too easily negated to be of benefit. And it's an expensive model. It's like about 400 points to really be effective. You probably want to bring two of them and spending 800 points on something that really isn't supposed to see combat seems bizarre. It really only does one thing, and your opponent can get rid of that. I think that's something they're talking about doing is, is bringing in additional rules for the Hellmaw to basically make it more appealing. And I think it, it needs it. Somewhat similar to the Battle Shrine. Um, the Battle Shrine's been changed with regards to its role in the army. So before, it was it was our kind of default anti-shooting protection unit because it gave you the hard target bubble. They've taken that away. Uh, they've taken its Aegis Wolfram up away to a 5-up, which is, I don't really have a big problem with. I think that's fair enough. But really, it's just there as a kind of bound spell. Channel yeah, almost. it's like a platform now rather than a... Yeah, it's basically our version of your arcane engine. But worse. Um, yeah. I mean, stat-wise, what is it lost? I mean, stat-wise, it's, it's tankier than an arcane engine. It doesn't pump out the same number of attacks. It was never a close combat threat anyway, but it does less in terms of attacks now. It can't be marked, which is a kind of general gripe on the forums just now, that we've lost a lot of the access to marks, or, or as they're now called, favours on unit entries. So you can't get those additional benefits on the unit. It has ability to use soul tokens so you, you can boost spells through the battle shrine which is kind of cool but the soul token mechanic in the book again that's something that needs tweaked i think there's a lot of good ideas in the book and it's good that they have tried to introduce new stuff but i think it's just going to take them a little while to figure out how best to tweak it and i guess because it's the, the first new book that was maybe going to be inevitable yeah but that was always going to be the case which is fair enough but um i think because we were so hyped for it to come out i think the fact People are somewhat disappointed with the rules and the fact that it doesn't quite operate as how people would like is somewhat anticlimactic. We've we've lost a couple of mounts, so um, Manticores are gone in the book. Um, you can't field a Chimera. Well, you can um, as a mount, but you can't take it as just like a, its own monster flying around the battlefield. Mm. I only ever did that once, but I know that was certainly a thing in some people's lists where they would maybe bring a couple of Chimeras. Monsters-wise, we've lost Blood Beast, we've lost the Vortex Beast. We've got a, a replacement to that now called the Fallen One. Is it the Fallen One? The Forsaken One. The Forsaken One. Yeah, which it's got some good things about it. It's six wounds, Resilient Six, Strength Six, which is all very nice. It's a random mover, 3D6. Does D6 plus three grinds. Strength Six, that's okay, but because of the irredeemable rule, which is an army-specific rule, um, it can't stomp. And why you would bring a monster that can't stomp I don't know. I don't know why you're bringing it. It's got unstable as well, so things charging it with ranks and banners and things potentially can... So that's not great. It's, yeah. it's 425 points as well, which is it's expensive. I mean, part of the appeal of the Blood Beast was that it was like a 300-point cheap monster. So for all of this, has got better protection in the sense that it's got more health points. It's, it's more resilient. I don't think it's worth its points, basically. So I'm going to try it. I've got models there that I can't use as Blood Beasts, so I'm going to use it as Forsaken models. I'll test it, but it just doesn't seem very appealing, and I think that's the problem with the book as a whole. When you read the unit entries, 
I'm just struggling to think why we'd bring it. Um, and especially when you're comparing it to what we had, things just don't seem to be as good. I think the biggest thing is that the army is basically designed in the same way as it was before, but you have to spend more points to do it. And that changes how certain units operate. So, for instance, knights, you don't have access to favours. You bring them in units of six to ten, and you run them with ranks. You're making extra support and attack. So you ah, can run yeah, a unit yeah. of ten knights. They're yeah. 20 seconds. So, okay, but in 1.3, you can five, give them wrath, give them a fury banner. They're pumping out 16 attack or plus one to hit. So before we'd have a unit that was arguably better because it was more reliable at hitting things. So the extra attacks don't matter. It's nice having the extra wounds. It does make the unit a little bit more resilient. They still keep their one-up armor, which is good. They've lost fear as well, which was nice having on the knights. But then Hellforged armor gets around. Just things like bit. that. It just yeah. It does in the sense that it makes them immune, but you're not causing it anymore. By virtue of the fact that you had fear, you were immune to fear, and you caused it. It's obviously better than you're just being put. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, Chosen Knights, they have fear. The Battle Shrine no longer has fear. That had fear before. So there has been certain rules that have just been completely removed from unit entries. Costs of things have generally gone up, so it just feels more expensive. Like I say, we've lost things like Trolls and things. There are arguably replacements to them. So we've got like these things called Wretched Beasts now. These are the 3D6 random movers. They're kind of the replacement to... What were the things I brought before? I can't even remember what they're called. Do you know the ambushers? Fallen beasts. Fallen beasts, that's it. That's what they were called. Yeah, so we've basically got these things now, which you can run them in units up to six. Uh, have, they come with regen five. They're only resilience four, but they are three wins each. And they do D6 plus one grinds. Now, because of the irredeemable rule, they can use D6 plus one grinds as supporting attacks. They're limited. So if you wanted to run a, a unit of six, then you're basically getting six times D6 plus one attacks at strength four, which sounds cool, you know, agility one. So even on the charge, in a competitive build, I'm bringing maybe one of them and I'm using it as chaff. Mm-hmm. This new unit is Lost Ambush, so that's another general criticism of the book, is it's one of our hard weaknesses. So we've lost any vanguard, scout, or ambush that we had before. So we can no longer ambush barbarians, um, even if you bring the barbarian character. So it's certainly affected those kind of playstyles. Um, I'd say generally, though, like running a barbarian-themed army is still completely viable. Like You could do that if you want. Um, barbarians themselves, I'd say, have yeah. actually gotten a bit better. I would say it's more um, viable now, the barbarian army. Barbarians themselves have gotten a bit better, so they're strength four now. Uh, they don't do any kind of AP, but um, having strength four barbarians is pretty good. Because they have so. access to great weapons. Yep, and spears. Yep, spear and shields, pretty good choice. Certain weapon options are actually more expensive, but others are exactly the same cost. So for the same cost, if you were running barbarians in groups with great weapons, they cost the same now as they did. So you're basically getting an extra plus one strength for nothing, which is pretty good. Other unit options, if you bring spears, they're actually more expensive now. Uh, by quite a bit. So 30 Barbarians with full command spears and shields are 450 points. Before, they were 360. So it's an extra 90 points. That's probably because of the strength 4. Yeah. I mean, there's still, like, spears are, are very good in the game generally. Yeah. So it's a good option to take, but it's a problem in the book that a lot of fuel things are just too expensive. Yeah, because they used to um, be right. they used to be toughness 4, strength 3, but now they're strength 4, resistance 3, right? They are resistance three, yes. Were they were they not always strength four? No, I don't think so. 
I never really ever used them, but I think that was one of the things they said. Let me just double check. No, yeah, they're definitely up by one, and their discipline's going up by one. So they're discipline eight, and they, that's like a theme throughout the book. They so weren't like strength three, toughness eight. three before. Because they, they definitely uh, had a pip on, on Empire guys. I just can't remember what. Oh, they, were, they were strength three before. So they must have been toughness four before, right? I don't think so. Like I say, I never used them, but I don't think they were. I think they were always three. I don't have uh, the older books, so I can't. I deleted them all. For all that they've gotten better, it's the lack of marks on a lot of the units that I think people have an issue with. And it's not so much the fact that they've taken that out and it's restricted it to certain like elite units. Like If that's the direction of the fluff, then that's fine. Totally on board. But the fact that you've taken out this massive element of the book and not replaced it with something to allow us to maintain that level of customization that people enjoyed seems really strange. Like It would be nice if we could still have something in the book where you could totally tailor these units in a similar way to before. It just seems strange that whereas before you could feel these really themed armies, you can't do that now. You can basically design an army now, and with certain types of units, you can't even get access to any marks. I think it's just a complete culture change to the community, and some of that is just a case of getting used to it. But in my mind, it's like taking black powder out of EOS. It's yeah. like something intrinsic to the book. It's something that the community's always had. That certainly something that I'm disappointed in, that we've lost it. And I think part of that is the fact that we have seven favours now, rather than just four. Yeah, because like, they've got the material there to do it. Like It's not like the mark equivalent is gone, because obviously you've got these favours, which replace them. And I'm looking at the the favours just now, and there's a few of them that, you know... I mean, they're all buffs, obviously, but most of them are situational buffs. Yeah, I mean, there's some that are just good. So, like, Lust is good all yeah. the time. And, like, Wrath pride is good. It's good. Like, Pride, you get that for free in a lot of units. So for anyone that doesn't know, that's basically giving the unit cold-blooded. You roll an extra d6. And because you have Hellforged Armor in a lot of these units, Hellforged Armor allows you to re-roll failed break tests. So you're effectively getting re-rollable cold-blooded on elite units. So in the three games that I've played, I've not even bothered bringing a BSB because you don't need it. Yeah, you don't. So the fact that you're getting that for free is amazing. Now that's only on chosen chosen knights and chosen chariots. There's only three basic units in the book that can take favors. There's only one character that can take favors. Most of the characters can't get access to them either. I think some of the things you're talking about with regards to how situational they are, I think that's hopefully something they'll change because it is quite restricting and it just makes them look less appealing. Like Sloth is amazing. Minus one to be wounded, whether it be close combat or against shooting attacks, it's fantastic. But if you do anything other than move, you don't get it. So you'd have to wait until the the subsequent round of combat. And in a game where agility is huge, even more so now in this version, not getting the charge off is the difference between being alive turn two and not, depending on who you're fighting. Like In one of my games uh, on the weekend... I got charged by something. In fact, first two games I've had, I've had two different opponents, two different armies. They've charged me with something. It's hit the chosen unit, and it's evaporated it before it swung. One of those cases, for sure, it was just because of agility. So not getting the charge off is the difference between that unit living and and not. So the fact that that's quite a restrictive mark, to me, it's kind of dicey. I don't know if I really like that or not. Yeah. 
I know that was something once, that conceptually they wanted to bring in more was these like good and bad things. So like you get this boon, but there's also like a, a negative thing that makes it's not a straight buff. But I think there's places where you can implement that, and like because I mean I've read through the book a couple of times, and like you, I think the the background the artwork is phenomenal. It looks it looks so professional. Like if you know if yeah. Ma- if Mantic or Games Workshop or Osprey or any of the other you know big wargaming uh, rules companies had produced that, you wouldn't have you know buy it. It looks the finished product. Um, but in terms of rules, I agree. Like I was reading through it, and there was nothing that was like, "Oh man, that's that's awesome!" Like you know, I wish my army had that, or you know, whatever. Like the the marks, sorry, the the favors are like some of them, like you say, are. Are straight buffs, which are good. Uh, others are like conditionals that are a little bit less so. And then you get to the pricing of some of them, and like fuck me, like why would why would yeah. you be spending that much points on bringing that thing that might help you? I think it's interesting. See if you actually look at the cost of the marks on chosen. The average point cost of the mark is cheaper than now than it was. It's on average, it's 3.7 points per average mark per model in the new book. Before, it was 6.5. Wow. But the problem is the unit itself is so bloody expensive that you don't want to add any marks to them. Because they're already so, horrendous, yeah. I think marks themselves, I think, are probably costed okay. They need to they look at the points again for the units and minimize that, I think. Because right, okay. it's just so prohibitive. Other things about the book, just like kind of some of the universal rules, another big thing has been like, the army strength independent leadership. And effectively our units are supposed to operate independently of any kind of like leadership bubble. And so like the Pride Mark totally works into that. If you have Hellforged armor, as I say, you you gain fearless, that's very good. Although it has a downside in the, the fact that you can't flee. You can also reroll your field break tests. So it's a, it's like basically the Hellfist from the Overbook. It is, yeah, but it makes more sense in your army. Oh, it does, definitely. And I think there are a lot of units in the book that do come with Hellforged armor. So Warriors, of course, have it. Fallen have it. Warrior Knights, uh, the regular chariot, the upgraded chariot, Chosen, Chosen Knights, the new, once chosen, the Forsworn unit, they have it. So there's a lot of stuff in the book that should be fine, plays into the army's fluff and its strengths, which is a good thing. So I do like that about the book. Our Chosen Lord is Leadership 8 Base, uh, which is kind of annoying. Um, not so much that you kind of need it for an inspiring presence, but just the fact that an elite combat character is only Discipline 8. Yeah. For his own sake, he should be Discipline 9. Like I said to you before, if he came with Discipline 9, but he just you don't get inspiring presence in this army, which from a fluff perspective would make sense, because everything is supposed to not give a shit. And if you read the fluff, the description of battles going down and warriors just kind of being like, I don't care that you've killed... So many of my guys, I don't give a fuck, I'm here for myself. That yeah. would make sense. But it's just when he does have to do his leadership, it's like, I have to spend, if I want Discipline 9, I have to go and spend all these points. And that doesn't seem to be in keeping with him. Like, he should just not give a shit. He should have high discipline. Yeah, he opinion. should be leadership 9 or 10 and just not give a fuck about anyone else. I think that's so, pretty cool, actually. I like that. Yeah, it does. It is, and it's for me. This is the first army I've, I've played. I'm not playing anyone else. I think this will be a big shock going and playing another army, and I'm like, shit. Discipline is like a concern. <laughs> I have to yeah. make sure that things are nearby. 
Welcome to my world. <laughs> so it is. <laughs> so it's a definite strength of the book, and that's a good thing. So I do like that. Characters again. He's the only character that can get a favor. I find that weird. Can the Doom Lord not get them though? Is that kind of meant to be because he's he's fucked it? Yeah, he's basically fucked it. Maybe the Doom Lord is supposed to be a chosen lord that fucked up. I think that's case, what it's that's meant to be, I and it's like it. the the path down. So they they get their way up, they yeah. become the chosen lord, and then if they they do well at that stage, they become the exalted heralds. If they fuck it, then they become Doom Lords, and then it's like a path of regression until they become the Forsaken one. How much of it? Well, I've got I've got a few questions for you. So yeah, go for it. Okay. Right, maybe I should start with this one. So, my first question to you. How much of this kind of culture shock is simply due to the fact that there's quite a lot of change in the book? And do you think that... I mean, I know that they're obviously going to have to tweak some things because some things are not priced properly or not as effective, blah, blah, blah. But overall, how much do you think that the dust will just settle because people get used to the new book? I think that's certainly part of it. And I think with regards to the changes to units, units... Certain certain ones of them anyway, they're not going to do what they did before. They're in the book, but they have a different role now, and so people can't use them the way they want to use them, and that's why people are pissed off. Which is fair enough. They're not. It's not that they're no longer useful in the book. They have a they have a role. They have a purpose. But you have to appreciate that people want to use certain models in a certain way. You you do have to kind of appease that part of them. So I think part of the kind of outcry will go down, people are tweak lists, they'll play the game, they'll figure out ways that they can use the book. But I think some of the changes in the book are quite big. Certainly the loss of marks from certain units is a big deal. I think people will get over that. That's something that will settle down. From the discussions on the forum, it's maybe unlikely that we are going to get anything into the book to replace marks, and that this is something that we're going to have to deal with. There is the whole issue of Distinguishing between demon legions and warriors. Yeah, and it's 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 hard because we've not seen the book, yeah. so we don't know what they're planning with regards to demon legions and how they're gonna. I mean, balancing seven favors within their book is probably going to be more difficult. Undoubtedly, because, yeah. Because I don't know how you you go down the route of having four distinct types of models that are all supposed to play to a different army style to now having seven. I was um, talking to Drew. And so Drew's our, our pal from Durham and he is painting up some stuff just now and he doesn't know if he wants to make it Warriors or Demon Legions. And he's been keeping an eye on all the forums and he was saying to me that he'd heard that they're going to make, like, keep the, the units round about the same. So you're still going to have Slaughters, for example, but that you can mark them. So you might have Pride Slaughters, whereas before you only ever got Wrath Slaughters. Okay. I don't know if that's true. I don't know where he got it from. Drew could be smoking some very insane stuff. But if mm-hmm. that if that is true, that I think that explains the decision to limit marks in the Warriors books. They want to make it more of a Demons thing. Whether that's the right decision or not isn't... I'm disputing there. I'm just saying that I'm trying to understand it from a design point of view and I think maybe that's the angle that they're they're going at, if that is the case. There's just a lot of things that are different in the book. And people were expecting certain things that we just didn't get. Things like, so our chosen knights ride these demonic mounts. I think people were hoping that we were going to get various types of mounts for that unit. For instance, the scythed uh, skywheels, the new discs 
think people were thinking, oh, it'd be really cool if you know you, you got access to certain favors on that unit that allowed them to take different types of mount. So you could basically have like a unit of three flying chosen knights on these mounts that would, that be, would be completely cool. different than cool. running the kind of new equivalent of the crushers, or you know something that's slower but much tankier. If you go down like gluttony or greed or something like that, and I think a lot of these ideas they just seem more fun. Yeah. Like, you can just imagine that being really good to play, whereas we're kind of stuck with these default choices that, you know, we can't really change. Like, I read the Empire book, and I was more excited. Yeah. Which I think is quite telling, when I don't actually play Empire. What was the other thing you were going to ask? Oh, well, I've got a couple other questions to kind of finish up on, but um, just your point about the fun thing. Like, it's hard, because we want the game to be fun, and we want there to be variety and flavour. And I think across the board, apart from vampires, I think flavour and variety is kind of been worn away at the cost of balance. Now, I, I play the game because I like the look of it, but I also play the game because I enjoy the actual gameplay aspect. I know not everyone is like that. Different people play the game for different reasons. But I play the game primarily because I enjoy it, and in secondary because I like the immersion on the tabletop and, you know, but like I play the game to play the, the game and if you add more and more options in and more and more variety it becomes harder and harder to balance and then you will always have options which are better than others for units so if you had a unit of chosen knights who had access to discs uh, and had access mm-hmm. to snails or you know whatever um, there will always normally be one or two that are better than the rest different choices and for some people, some people don't care because they don't care if the snails are worse than the, the discs because they, they like the snails and they're going to use the snails. Um, but, you know, when you get to competitive players, um, they will never ever consider the snails because they're not as good. So I think it's, it swings and roundabouts and there's a lot of dishes getting uh, balanced in this kind of balancing act. But I think that you've got to try and find the middle ground. Because like you, you know, I like flavour. You know, I, I think the VC book is probably one of the best books simply because it combines flavour and gameplay. It's just a really cool book. I really like it. And I think that they've got to try and find that middle ground with the other books. And I think they've probably they've gone too far with the Warriors book. I think they've maybe taken flavour out, which is ironic because the, the fluff's really good and there's a lot of stuff there. And it, but it just feels maybe in gameplay it's not there. That's my that's my outside opinion anyway. That's fair enough. Like as I say, it's it's the first of the new books, and they might have been erring on the side of caution with certain things, which is completely understandable. I think that's a factor and as well. Yeah, there are things that are in the book that have excited a lot of people. Like I think giants across the board, people have been really happy with. I think that in, in combination with some of the, the price changes on barbarians and stat changes and some of the other new entries, so like Feldrakes, which are the new uh, Dragon Centaurs. Yep. Um, I think that in combination with like a barbarian giant-themed army is quite appealing to a lot of people. I think there's been a number of people on the forums that have talked about you know, starting these kind of new lists. I think aesthetically, for sure, they're going to look amazing, uh, especially with the new Feldrake uh, character, the Feldrake Ancestor. He's a lot of points, but he's pretty cool. Yep. I quite like the look at him. So I'm thinking about maybe getting a new model for this guy. I think he's going to be quite fun to play on the table. 
Okay, so I've got two quick fire questions for you. And then I've got a final question that we can round off on. Awesome. So the two quick fire questions, what are the and this is the first things that come in your head. So the top three things that you like about the new book. Top three things. Magic. It's yep. totally viable now. Totally a thing. I like the fact that it is forcing me to think about my list. I can't just run what I ran last time. I have yep. to use other things. Totally. I think, I think that's good. Yep. Third thing, the fluff. Yep. Okay. I think, on the whole, I'd say I'm disappointed with the book, but I'm still happy to play the army. I'm still reading the book thinking, I want to try that. I'm going to have to buy a model for that. Okay, so we've had the good. What are the top three bad things or things you're most disappointed with? Lack flavor. Yep. Uh, unit entries generally seem like there's fewer ways to play them. Point costs all seem pretty high. Right. And We're going for four. Oh, sorry, did I still already say three? <laughs> so flavor slash playstyle, points costs. And I think the fact that we, we have lost a lot from the book. Okay. And I think because they've had to kind of amalgamate these things into single unit entries, I think that's part of the reason why they're not landing with people because they have to kind of somehow cover multiple bases with one thing. Mm. So, okay. Yeah. So to round up then, final question for you. If the book has, uh, well, it's going to get a small tweak in February, 14th of February. Mm-hmm. And then. Oh, I don't think our book is. I think our book's exempt from that, isn't it? No, the, I think there's going to be small tweaks done. Okay. Don't quote me okay. on that, but I'm, I'm 90% sure. And then you're obviously getting your own individual one yeah. in, in March, where it's going to be yep. uh, tackling the bigger issues. So, if across those updates there's points reductions across the book mm-hmm. and there's some level of favour introduction. So, for example, um, you can take X number of banners which give that unit the favour, which is something that I know you you talked about in the forum. If you could do those things, do you think the book would be kind of fixed or in a much better position? Just those two things. The more I think about it, the more I think that We've lost favors or marks from the units I've lost them. I don't think we're going to get them back. I'm prepared to live with that. Like I say, I, I like the fluff, and I can I see why from that perspective we've lost it. So if we don't get that, I'm not going to be surprised. I think they need to bring in more options though for units, and whether that be mounts, weapon options, um, different ways of running units, because that was always such a strong aspect of the book before. I'll be happy. Like I say, I'm not throwing away my models. I mean, I'm, I'll still be playing this book for the rest of the year. I mean, hopefully I'll have my second army up and running at some point, but I'm still considering myself a Warriors player first and foremost, so I'm not giving up on the book. I mean, I've played three games. I've won two of them, so, you know, the book's not dreadful by any means. I mean, it's still obviously competitive, but I think it, they just need to do something to make it more fun. Okay. That was good. Hopefully that didn't sound like just a wine fest. No, I, I think that there's a difference between whining and constructive criticism. And I think that the team, all the teams that are involved in the Ninth Age, and particularly in the Warriors book that's been released, were aware that they weren't going to get everything right. And this was the first one. So it was always going to be the biggest challenge. It was always going to be the one that was going to receive the most attention when it was released. So I don't think anything's set in stone, per se, 
And I think that there's certainly room for, you know, redesigns and tweaks and stuff like that. I think they did a lot right, particularly with the the fluff in the background, and it reads like a cool army. But like you, I think that from an outside perspective and knowing very little about warriors apart from um, how to shoot them, it just seems like they've lost flavour. And when I when I flick through the book, there's actually not a lot in that book that really scares me as a as a player. I'm looking at all these unit entries and I'm like, right, I could do that to them. I could do that to them. This is Empire Which as is well. Good. We are mid tier. Yeah. We are solid yeah. mid tier. <laughs> and to be fair, like no army should just be completely OP. Yeah, no, so absolutely. It's good, that's that, it's yeah. good that you're that you can have counters to things. After the update, maybe maybe actually after the the book tweak in March, we'll maybe have a, another episode where we talk about this. Maybe see if we can wrangle up another Warriors player from somewhere. Have a okay. have a chat about it. Okay, so that's been. Um, our kind of initial thoughts of 2.0 and uh, the two army books. I think overall it's very positive. Um, apart from you know just the, the things about the Warriors book, I think that job well done. And I am as a player, I'm comfortable with that being the the rule set that's set in stone going forward. Yeah, and just to echo that a little bit, just a thank you to everyone that's worked on the book. Yep. Whatever degree that might be, rules guys, background team, art team, everybody. Like, for all that, I mean, I've got a lot of problems with the book. I mean, I can still recognize there's been a lot of work that's gone into it. And I totally respect everyone that's given up their time to produce it. And they've done a very good job in kind of maintaining a high standard with regards to actually how it's been produced. So, thanks. And I hope that, you know, listening to people like me moan about stuff isn't too much of a detraction from wanting to be involved but um, I'm still like, looking forward to playing the game and I'll be interested to see how they address the kind of concerns that the community have got so we'll see Okay. so just to wrap up our next episode we don't have a, a topic in mind uh, we'll probably just see what, what happens in the general landscape of things uh, see if yeah we can just see what's get, going on yeah maybe see if we can get some people on um, if any of you listening have any topics that you want us to discuss um, or any ideas or anything like that, uh, please let us know. Either you can get us on Twitter at Scottish Ninth or you can send us an uh, email at uh, scottishwildlings at gmail.com. Uh, you can also get us on Facebook at Scottish Wildlings um, and Ed's kind of in charge of that. So if you get onto that, he'll uh, agitate the group and see what's happening on there. But apart from that, that's all I've got. Do you have anything you want to say before we sign off, Paul? No, just um, obviously we've got big plans for the podcast, so we just hope people get involved, people email us, uh, people come to us with suggestions for things, anyone's got ideas for segments they'd like us to do, like as regular things. Um, yep. That'd be really good. And uh, we'll catch you in the next one, guys. Yep, take it easy. <laughs>